Good morning and welcome to Five Alive. We are all here looking forward to today's subject, which is knowing God better. Knowing God better is something that all of us somewhat struggle with because it's so difficult to what we think of is to understand an intangible uh, person, somebody whom we can't necessarily see or touch. Sometimes we even feel like we can't hear him or he doesn't speak to us. And so therefore, there's the question that's come along in years past, which is, is there such thing as God? And today I want to talk about knowing God better. We've talked in the past about two important facets of Christian growth, one of them being faith, the other moral excellence. And now today we're going to talk about growth. And that specific growth is within knowledge, knowing God, knowing our creator, and recognizing the fact that our creator wants us to grow in knowledge. The one thing that God does not want us to do is to start going into the dark ages and start regressing in our knowledge and start penalizing people who think outside of the box or look at things differently than everybody else. Though in years past, that is the way the church has reacted. And I want to kind of bring to light today that that's definitely not the God of the Bible or the Lord Jesus Christ whom we worship. In his book, Canterbury Tales, Mr. Chaucer tells a story through a summoner. The summoner is talking to a friar and the friar has made the summoner upset. And so he goes into a story with a prologue. And in that prologue, he describes a story that goes something like this. And I'm going to uh, just kind of give a brief overview. But he says that a friar enters into hell. And as the friar, the priest, the friar, the person who's supposed to be going around and telling people about God so that that way they have a better knowledge of him, walks into hell and there he meets a devil. And the devil says to him, or the demon says to him, uh, welcome. And the friar goes, oh, wow, I don't know how I ended up here. I guess there's not many of us friars in here. And he goes, actually, no. The devil says, no, there's actually millions of you here. Uh, and he goes, no, but I don't see any. And he goes, oh, just a second. And he looks over at Satan himself and he says, hey, Satan, lift up your tail. And when, when Satan lifts up his tail, 20,000 friars come flying out of his butt, roam around hell, and then go back to the same place within Satan's butt. Um, this is exactly what Chaucer set, describes the summoner saying. And he says, see, there's millions of them here. And now it's time for you to take your place and then the friar flies off the same way. Why would Chaucer use an illustration like this of the way people in the church who are supposed to be in leadership, why would he describe this as a story or as a fable of the way things are unless it was the fact that what people in the church have done through the years is not help people get to know God better, but to do things for their own benefit and for their own demands and their own excellence in life so that that way they can gain or achieve more. And so I don't want to do that today. Instead, I want to look at the Bible and exactly what it says and discover who our creator is and who he wants us to be. 
I also want to discover what he is like, what his personality is, and I want to know his creation better, this place that we live on this earth. See, God wants us to be curious. He wants us to ask questions. So I have a question for you guys. How did you get to know your parents? Because I came out of the womb. Because you came out of the womb. <laughs> Because uh, you're blood related and like if a person tries to take your child away and then you're there right there and saying that that's my child, your child will know who you are because they might know your scent or the way you feel. Okay, your scent or the way you touch them? Sure. What are other ways we get to know our parents? Because we live with them, so we're with them daily and therefore you get to know the person you're with. If you have a parental figure in your life, you get to know them because they are present, usually. Okay. Anything else? You get to know them through other people, how other people view who your parents are. Okay. You get to know them through conversation with them. Yeah, definitely. How did you get to know your siblings? How have you gotten to know your brother and your sister, Mallory? Or Xavier, how have you gotten to know your sisters? Or Blair, how have you gotten to know your brothers? Because you didn't come out of their womb. <laughs> and you didn't come out of my womb. But how do you get to know your siblings? I think same thing, living with them, having conversation with them, I mean, interacting with them. Mm -hmm. Some people do not do that and therefore don't know their siblings. But the way I know mine is just being with them, loving them. Right, getting to know your siblings for who they are, not dictating, not having a television show dictate how we should treat our siblings but truly valuing each other how have you gotten to know your brother he's there he's there I know oh him. that's a great answer he's there so by their presence xavier's brought up mallory said just flat out he's there blair's talking about the very important aspect of not learning who others who our family members are our parents or our siblings through other people and we have all these things working together in order to encourage us in, in knowing who each other are. Spending time with them, walking together, going places, exploring, sometimes watching TV or a movie or reading a book together, working together as in building something or painting together. Or I know there's been a few times that we've gotten uh, the opportunity to make stuff together. I, I think about a couple of years ago, we were in uh, Louisville and we went to a glass shop and we all made coasters out of glass. And we got to know each other by making uh, these coasters and breaking little pieces of glass and it got put into the um, the furnace and, and, and molded into exactly what we wanted it to look like. And that was a way that we got to know each other better as a family, not because we don't live with each other and couldn't discover those things any other way, but the fact that we had that opportunity to work together on a project helped us to get to know each other better. And in a similar way, you and I also communicate and learn about our creator, our savior, and our counselor. So how do we get to know God better if these are the ways we get to know our siblings and our parents better, and God is a person, he is, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he is a person we can get to know, what are the ways we can discover who God is? The same way we get to know other people. 
communication, listening, mm -hmm. asking questions. Asking questions through other people's relationships with them. Testimonials of others. Can you go places with God? Yeah. God goes anywhere, so yes. He's omniscient. He's everywhere. He's, he is, absolutely. But don't we sometimes act like God isn't everywhere by our behavior? Yes. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm alone right now, and then I'm like, oh, wait, never mind, God's everywhere. Sure. I don't think we probably choose to hope that he's not watching. Hmm. Sometimes we act like God's not our behavior. We act as if God isn't there with us. For instance, if we go out on as an adventure of going to Louisville, Kentucky, and going to the glass place and doing that project together, was God present there with us while we were doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because he's everywhere. But why is it that we sometimes act as if the only place God's presence is, is in the temple, or it's in the puja room, or it's in uh, only in the Bible? And so if I can keep the Bible hidden away, then God's presence won't be here for this act that I'm doing. My behavior is bad, and so therefore I'm ignoring God in this moment, but yet his presence is still there. Because... People want to be of the world, but at the same time, they want the promise that God gives us of eternal life. Hmm. So we can go places, and God's still there, always, because He's never He never leaves us. So He never leaves us and never forsakes us in those moments that we feel like we're left all alone, and there is uh, uh, feelings of desertion and depression and all these things we we can rely on the promises that god is always there with us but what about those moments when everything is going joyously for us and things lead into a sinful situation as a result of the hype of how much fun i'm having isn't god still there in those moments yes so he's with us all the time and knowing god better is to know that he's in those moments with us when we go to work is God with us? Yeah. yeah. So we need to uh, make sure that we keep that same when we are at church and we're in a time of worship, keeping that awe of who God is and transferring it into our workplace. What does that look like? It's different for everybody. I, I, I know that. But what would it look like for you? Like say, I'm bringing God into my classroom. Does that mean that I have to have posters that are on the wall that draw everybody's attention to God? Does it mean that I can only talk about scripture? Does it mean that everything that comes out of my mouth is the same as that of the pastor? Or am I actually able to educate somebody in mathematics and in the sciences and be a teacher and be a person of faith that has God in my classroom at the same time? Everybody does it differently. So it's your own convictions of how you choose, of how you want to re represent the Jesus inside of you. In your life, in general, you do daily things, but sometimes you barely even notice that you're actually leading someone to God. Right. Because in your daily acts, it's just that you have God so much in your life and that you love him so much that you don't really invite him. You just do anything, and apparently it's godly, but you don't notice it. Sure. That's a great perspective. As we're exploring, we can't be afraid to ask the tough questions. As we're at work, we can't be afraid of our co-workers and having God with us as we walk into work. At the beginning of most church services, 
The pastor stands in front of the congregation and says, we want to invite God's presence into this place. That's not necessarily something that we have to do as we walk into the front door of our office or our school or our place of employment. But yet to carry God with us, to know that he is everywhere present, to know that my actions and reactions in the workplace or at home or in my private life whenever there's nobody else around or that of God being present with me. And as I'm getting to know him better, I want to make sure that everything that I do is bringing me to an understanding of how great our God is. And as I'm doing those things, I'm getting to know God better than I knew him whenever I first believed. And so allowing him to prove himself and to remove doubt from my life is a way of worshiping him and getting to know him better. Mostly getting to know God is done in prayer. However, I can sometimes be more concerned that prayer is not enough because we look at prayer as a moment where we get on our knees near or at an altar in a church or maybe even in our bedroom and then we make requests of God and he's supposed to answer them. That's the way the world teaches us prayer works. But yet you described earlier, we all described earlier, I should say, that communication with each other is how we get to know each other. Mm -hmm. And so when we say prayer is communicating with God, is there a specific format, formula that we have to follow in order to pray and get to know him better? There is no specific formula, but there are instructions in the Bible to help us understand how we can pray, how to pray mm -hmm. the Lord's Prayer, which is in the Bible. Even Christ says the Lord's Prayer is not to be that you recite the Lord's Prayer every single time. The Lord's Prayer is really just a guideline, just a an outline like you do for an essay of how to uh, write your essay. And every outline is different and every prayer is different and every person's different. And so there is a guideline, but at the same time, you pray to God however you see fit. And so prayer is communication, which means it's reciprocal, right? Mm -hmm. It means that we're not only the ones speaking, but we also, therefore, are the ones that are listening. Yes. And yet I feel like I meet people very frequently that say that they've never heard from God. But yet they'll insist that they have a prayer life. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to have a prayer life and yet not know God's voice? Yes, go ahead. Well, I've never really like ever heard God tell me something. Like he's only like showed me. Like if I ask him a question, then like either the next day or a day in general, the answer will come out of a person or out of something that I see. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not really his voice it will be his voice telling me but like you don't really know it at first mm -hmm. you can't have a prayer life without knowing who what god's voice is and who god is and through that prayer life you but at the same time god doesn't always communicate like we expect him to because us as humans we always expect god to just tell us flat out what's going to happen and sometimes he delays the answer on purpose so that way we grow and understand it better i've had a question one year and like mm -hmm. three years later i got the question answered and it's because 
I wasn't ready for the answer at first, but then three years later, I was finally able to understand what God meant for my life at that point in time. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're alone, Christ joins us. We can sit together, sometimes in silent prayer and contemplation. At work, in our finances, in business deals, in those moments when we're networking, or if we're doing actual hard labor, we can do all these things with an attitude of prayer and worship that allows God to be a part of us and everything that we're doing. But also we cannot forget that communication means that you receive just as much you take as you take. And that when we're listening to God, we're looking for God, we're calling on God, and we're allowing God to answer our questions, our doubts, our fears. And instead of doing everything on our own, our dependency and our reliance is in Him. And as we're dependent and relying on Him, He and we get to know each other better and our knowledge actually grows. First Chronicles 16, 8-13 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. And Mallory has a passage of scripture for us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, that encourages us just as much as 1 Chronicles 16, 8 through 13 does. And it is simply praying without ceasing. Very good. Prayer is composed of praise, which is a song, it's poetry, it's art, it's physical labor. We do this in confession and petition of our personal needs. We also intercede on behalf of others. We can involve our family in prayer, where a prayer is not just something that we do in private, but we also do corporately as a whole family. And when I say family, I don't just mean those people that you live with, but I also mean your neighbors and those that we're in contact with on a regular basis and are so close with us that they, uh, that a fellow worker is like a brother and or a sister with us so that that way we would call them like our family and together we're all involved in praying together and prayer also involves thanksgiving giving thanks over past victories and past answers or things that are yet to come we can still thank god for those answers and those victories that are ahead of us prayer is also listening it's an act of worship but it's also a moment where we get to know God and to know him more intimately than we ever have before. The book of Mark, chapter 11, verses 20 through 24, we're going to read, and then I'm going to ask you a question, which is, what is necessary for successful prayer? What is necessary for successful prayer? Mark, chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. 
And so the question is, is what is necessary in accordance with this passage of scripture that Blair just read for us? What is necessary for successful prayer? Belief. Hmm. And in our belief, as Xavier mentioned, are we just praying for things that are specific to us and our needs? In other words, is prayer just something that's selfish? No. Because you always pray for others when they need help. Yeah. Even if they don't ask for help and you see that they need help. Definitely. And as far as belief goes, it also is recognizing the fact that the person that has ultimate authority to actually be able to answer the request or the problem or bring forth the solution to the doubt, he is the one that has ultimate authority. So our belief upon him, our belief upon God to take care of a situation is to automatically be expecting the proper answer and not one that is going to destroy us. Philippians 4, 4 through 6. There's a question with this. There's actually a few questions that I have with this one. Is it possible to rejoice on tragic days? Does gentleness mean being a pushover? And what do we do with worry and anxiety? Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Perfect. So is it possible to rejoice on tragic days, according to this passage of Scripture? Yes. But what about in our actual lives? How easy is it to rejoice on tragic days? It's not easy, but it doesn't say it's easy. It just says rejoice in the world. Rejoice in the Lord always. It doesn't say it's going to be easy. It doesn't say it's going to be hard. It just says rejoice. So it's an attitude that we have, a decision to make sure that we tell our mind and our body that even though we're going through something tragic, we're still going to choose to rejoice in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Does gentleness mean being a pushover? No. You can be gentle and still some people see you as harsh. Mm. Yeah, what, what, why, why is that? Because sometimes, I mean, in gentleness you also tell the truth and you try and help others out and people don't like always accepting the truth. And even though you are trying to help out and be gentle in telling them the truth or accepting the truth yourself, People can see that as being harsh or cynical. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're offended by your yeah, gentleness. Yeah, or offended by being you being gentle sure. as opposed to you being um, disgusted or turned away. And then uh, last, out of this passage of Scripture, what do we do with our worry and anxiety? Because the passage of Scripture only says in verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Mm-hmm. Because the Lord is at hand. Yeah. In other words, what? What does that mean? It means we don't need to worry about anything or be anxious for anything because Christ is always there with us. He's always there for us. He's always there to answer our requests. So give him your requests and make them known to him. Yeah. So we can turn our worry and anxiety into a moment of prayer mm-hmm. and get to know him better. All right. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. 
Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, not then we have confidence toward God, and whatsoever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. How can you be positive that your prayers will be answered according to this passage of Scripture? Because we keep his commandments, we can be positive that our prayers will be answered. Does that mean that sometimes some things in life feel like they're taking a downturn and everything's going wrong and we continue to keep his commandments and we say, oh, I'm doing good things and so therefore karma should be revealing to me good life and therefore I should never have any enemies and I should never have any troubles and I should never have any trials and therefore why are all these bad things happening to me? I am a good person. Is that what this is talking about? Or is this saying that we continue to keep his commandments and trust that God will answer our prayers despite what is happening in the world in that moment? The second one. The second one. <laughs> Very good. All right, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 17 and through 15, this is our final passage of scripture today, and it has a few questions. Uh, whom are we addressing when we pray? Where do we want God's will to be done? And how often do we want God's will to be done? And what area of our life do we want God's will to be done? So that's Matthew 6, 7 through 15. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So who do we address our prayers to? Our Father. Yes. Who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Absolutely. And uh, now it's more specific. Where do I want God's will to be done at? On earth and in heaven. So on earth, that's a pretty big place. I want God's will to be done right here in Mahali. I also want God's will to be done everywhere that I go. I want God's will to be done in my workplace. I want his will to be done in my family. I want his will to be done when I'm out with my friends playing basketball. And secondly, how often do I want God's will to be done? All the time. All the time. And what area of my life do I want God's will to be done? Well, I kind of already answered that, didn't I? All areas of your life. All areas of my life. Wanting God's forgiveness in our life, like, I want to be forgiven. I want God to forgive me so that that way I can put the past in the past and I can move ahead in the future and I can get to know him better. What does God require of me in order for me to receive forgiveness? What does he require of us? To forgive others. Yeah. As he's forgiven us. That's not always an easy thing. Sometimes we have people in our lives that we feel like, well, that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven because don't you know what they've done? 
Don't you know I have my rights? Don't you know? But that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't give us these prerequisites like that. Instead, it says that we forgive others. What things do we ask God to keep us from? The devil? The evil oh, one. Temptation. Yeah. Oh, temptation. Yeah, both. Absolutely. Isn't that lead us not into temptation? Isn't that a part Deliver of Deliver us from the evil one. The evil oh. one is sometimes our own selves, where everybody thinks it's the devil. Ooh. True. Very true. Very good point. Right on. And to whom does all... We could do a whole series on what Blair just brought up right there. To whom does all power, authority, and glory belong? God. God. And does your life prove, this is a reflective question, does your life prove this? That all power, authority, and glory belong to him. And so it's important for us to get to know God better. It's vital for us to gain knowledge. And we cannot be afraid to ask questions, to have doubts, to have fears. But even in those moments when we grow most anxious or most fearful, we place our trust in God and we allow him to answer those areas of our life that may be offensive to some, may even be offensive to ourselves. And as we grow in knowledge of who he is and how great he is, our worship and adoration for him will become even stronger. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day. And then I hope that everyone is safe and that you will forgive everyone who does something wrong to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.